Hey, y'all, thank you for coming to hang out with Nikkel and Candace on the Front Porch Podcast, where we have intimate intergenerational conversations. So sit back, relax, grab yourself a cool drink, and we'll see you on the Front Porch. Welcome to the Front Porch Podcast, where we have intimate intergenerational conversations to connect, build, and learn from each other. I am Mikkel Brand-Oliver, an older millennial, and my lovely co-host is Candice, a proud Gen Xer. And on this episode, we're heading to the front porch to talk about writing your family story. Candice, who's joining us on the porch today for this much-needed conversation? So I am so excited about this conversation and to have three wonderful guests with us today, Dr. John Miller. Latanya Coleman Carter and Andrea Martin. Thank you guys for joining us on the front porch today. I'm Thanks ready for this conversation. Us. Ready. Excited to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so we want to kind of get things started um, with you all just you know telling us a little bit about yourself, um, what generation you are a part of. Um, how about Latanya? How about you get us started? Hi, so um Latanya Coleman Carter, and I, I, I resonate with uh, Gen X and Millennial. Um, I'm sort of at the end, and it kind of depends sometimes in where when I look it up. I mean, even when I Google it, sometimes it says I'm one and I'm or I'm the other. And like I said, I, I kind of resonate with both of them. So um, I would say Gen X, Millennial slash Millennial. John. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a '70s baby. I'm Gen X all day. Uh, Gen X and a little bit of that sandwich generation in that uh, my wife and I have a toddler and we're also, you know, concerned always about our aging parents, right? So Gen X and a little bit of the sandwich generation. Um, I, like Latanya, uh, feel like I resonate in both Gen X and uh, millennial bits of pieces of both, but oftentimes I look at it like a bridge, like I can help decipher one generation for the other and vice versa. Um, so I like this middle ground. Good stuff. So before we dig into this conversation, we start with a rapid fire question. This is kind of like an appetizer. So once I ask the question, just share the first thing that comes to mind, and we'll start with Andrea. So imagine your family is a book. What's the title of your family's current chapter? Rapid fire. I should not just, <laughs> um, <laughs> there for you. Um, just there for you. We've had so much disruption. Um, people passing away and sickness and um, shifting dynamics um, with COVID. And um, we were all just there, um, really present and really knew that if we needed something that our family, both immediate and extended, would show up if, if they could with masks, but uh, they'd show up for one another. Mm, there for you. Awesome. John, which is the, the title of your family's current chapter? Uh, it ain't as long as it has been. Uh, and a quick, quick little thirty-second story about that is: I remember uh, when I was a young, when I was a kid, one of the things I always wanted to do was rush time. Right? I, I must, I was someone who wanted to be 
three steps ahead of whatever the next step was. And I can remember when I was in high school, my mother would sit me down and say, baby, it ain't as long as it has been. And that was always like a reminder in terms of when you're in those transition moments, you're closer to where you're going than where you've been. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so for me, uh, certainly with some life transition stuff we got going on right now, it ain't as long as it has been. Come on, that'll preach right there. <laughs> With Tanya. Um, I like, we're transitioning. So I think I would just go with transcending or transitioning something. Um, we, it's a really small family, um, my mother and my brother. And um, I think we're all going through this space where we're moving into new spaces. Um, changing careers, uh, my brother retired, my mother retired, like we're all just moving into new spaces. And it's been an amazing experience for all of us because they're so different, but the transition is necessary. And I think everyone's moving into purpose as well. So I think um, transitioning. Mm. That resonates. Candice, what about you? Okay, so I had the advantage of, um, you know, thinking about this for a little bit of time. And I still don't have that's as profound as what I would like to think. But here's what here's what I have. Um, faded evolution. Mm. It's, it's, it's going to happen. Fate, the divine, however you look at it, it's, it's, something in your life is going to evolve. Mm -hmm. You're growing, you're evolving. So maybe that's what it is. If you're growing, you're evolving. I have I was I was thinking as as you all were sharing, I would say fruitful. So my family, my immediate family consists of me and my mom. My dad passed away in 2017 to cancer. And I don't have any children yet, but I have a beautiful goddaughter. But just fruitful as I'm as I'm watching my mom grow through sadness and mourning to restore joy as I'm watching myself grow into my full authentic self and who God has called me to be and stand in that um, life is just blooming and um, I'm producing good fruit so mm -hmm. I'd say fruitful I love mm -hmm. I love the rabbit going. all right so so let's kind of get into our, our conversation um I, I think one of the things we want to start with, um, we want to take you back. We want to take you back. Wait. Now, this is way, way back. Although this is not going to be a therapy session on a podcast. However, we do want you to just kind of think back a little bit to your childhood or maybe your adolescent years and just think about some of those messages that really resonated with you about what family means, um, how you internalize what family means. So what were some of those messages? Any, yeah. Any, yeah. Anybody, okay. Uh, I had a joke, so I'll go with the quick joke first. And it, the first message was, what happens in this house stays in this house, boy. Remember that. Okay, all right. <laughs> but, you know, all jokes aside, I think my family messaging was, it's all about family. And I think that uh, certainly... All of my memories about my family are romantic, even though we had we did without. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, it, it's all romantic. So, you know, it's all about family. That may be the first time I've ever heard of, heard someone say that the way you know the family 
it was romantic. That that's but that's an interesting interesting word to use. Yeah, yeah, and I'll be I, and the reason why I say romantic is because it just much like the best romance novels, it ain't romantic when you're in it, right? It's like you know, like at the beginning, you look back over time and say we had humble beginnings or we did things like that. But I actually still look back at it now with the romance of I remember Thursday night, eight o'clock, everybody getting ready to watch the Cosby show. Mm. I remember that. I remember having those like family it's black history months. I remember kind of sitting down and as a family, we watched Shaka's Hoop. I remember as a family, we sat down and watched Roots. So mm-hmm. those things that I look back on mm-hmm. now as a man in my mid-40s, yeah, they were very romantic. So mm-hmm. uh, so that's a little bit of behind the scenes on that. I love that. I think I would go with another maybe cliche quote that we'd say back then, um, blood is thicker than water, you know, and I heard that so much. But it actually, you know, I know that there were times when our family, you know, had whatever its issues was, no matter what, when when it came down to it, we were going to be there for each other and we're going to support each other and we're going to be the safe space. And I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that resonated with me, especially as a black woman in America and having to present out into spaces and into the world where I go out there and I'm confronted the moment I walk out of my house, out of my safe space with you know, so many different obstacles and things to know that when I get home, what my family is, that that is my safe space. And I think I uh, love that no matter what happened or what mistakes I made or what things came between my family and I, it was always really thicker than water and we were going to come through it together. Yeah, very similarly in terms of like family was first. It was the most important. I mean, I remember like everything surrounded was family. It was, you know, celebrations and traditions and our our religion and everything just kind of had family as a through line. And um, with that came love and respect and support. And actually, a lot of messaging around caring for others. Like, this is an open door. Like, we take care of you, whether you're blood or not, even, you know. And that's a lot of what, um, you know, my grandmother always had an Edmonds ready to go. Like, <laughs> um, that, you know, whoever showed up, it could be the, you know, the mailman or um, a neighbor or, you know, somebody from the community, but it was always an open door of like giving back regardless of how much we had or um, the family had. Mm-hmm. I love that. Okay, how about you? What's some of those messages? Yeah. The Well, the first like external message that came to mind was like, Anytime you leave this house, you're representing the family. So you're representing your father and I and everything that that we've taught you. So when I was at school, if I misbehaved or made poor choices, it reflected poorly on me, of course, and it reflected poorly on, you know, my parents, right? Raised you better than that. You know better than that, right? So those messages um, really stuck with me. And internally, it was you contribute to the family, right? Growing up as an only child, I have two half sisters, but it's like a 13 year age gap. It was you, you contribute to this family, right? Everything isn't just given to you. You have to earn your keep around here. So um, 
pitching in, not being selfish, even though they spoiled me rotten. Those were those were a lot of the family family messages that I received. And I mean, there, there's nothing that you can't do and tell. So a lot of that, mm-hmm. yeah. I think all of maybe not all, but a lot of the messages that I would receive was, um, your job is to go to school. Period. That was me. Mm-hmm. Go to school. Whatever that looks like, you're going. That is your job. And just this idea of hospitality and just service, and, you know, giving back to people, making sure folks had enough to eat, making sure people had somewhere to stay. You know, whatever the situation was, we're not judging folks. They need our help. That's what we're going to do. So, so what was what was the role in your family? Did you all have a role? Did you play a role? Were you peacekeeper? Were you the hell yeah? Like, what was your role in your in your family dynamic? And then, um, just to kind of follow up with that, like, how how are some of those messages, or maybe even the role that you had in your family, how is that kind of helping you cultivate your own um, family right now? So what was your role, and then how are you um, using that role or any of those messages to cultivate your family? I don't want to keep going first. So I'm, I'm okay. So fellow, fellow guests, this is my last time going first. All right. So, you know, I was the baby. Uh, so as the baby, you get benefits of one. I watched a whole bunch of cut behinds. So I wasn't trying to get my cut. Right. So the benefit of that is you kind of watch and you learn from the wisdom. And we had a we had a unique blended family. But I don't think my family structure was that unique. And that we, uh, my mother and my aunt raised us together. Both of them were products of divorce. Uh, we had another auntie who had passed. And so we adopted her children. And so mm-hmm. in our family of seven, I was the baby, but I was the baby of one blood sister. And then my cousins who were kind of like my extended family, big brothers, big sister to this day. So I was the baby of much. Oh, yeah. And we lived with big mama and grandma was at the house, too. Right. So, Candace, just like you said, grandma okay. house burned down. Grandma came right there and was everybody big mama in the house. And I still got the switch boots to prove it. OK, grandma held it down. Now, all it has to say as far as like what role that did for me is that it allowed me to kind of be a helper. And so when I think about what I went on to do with my career, I work as a practicing social worker, social work scholar. And so that whole idea of community, my first community was my family. And so as the youngest person in the family, I was often asked to kind of lead or help or do things, especially because when all of the oldest siblings leave, then you're the last one remaining. We had some distance in between that. So I kind of had this relationship with my parents where I was like the baby. And then when all my other older siblings had left college, left to go off to college or job corps, whatever they ended up doing, it was more of a roommate. So they were teaching me how to cook recipes and stuff because I needed to have something cooked when they got home from work. So all of those were little parts of just a helping spirit, a community spirit, and uh, certainly that still drives me to this day. So uh, that's my story in terms of uh, a family. Mm. I bet y'all ate good in your house. Facts. Yo. I bet y'all ate good in your house. Big mama, yo mama, auntie. Yo, we still trying to hold down some of those recipes. I be trying to feed my kids some stuff. They be like, why are you feeding me this? I'm like, you don't know. It's for the ancestors. Just so you know. Like, I'm trying to keep some of them recipes alive to this day. But no, it was was great. Uh, Real quick, my family grew up. As you all may have heard, there were some fathers involved, right? So one of the benefits of that, and I'll use the word benefit in air quotes here for the purpose of this conversation, is that my parents always taught me, you know, look, you don't have to need a woman. 
So let me make sure that you have what you need. So in terms of teaching me how to cook, teaching me how to quote unquote take care of myself, that's another cultural nuance thing that I think is a part of our Gen X. Again, I'm, I can't speak for Gen X solely here, right? Some of this may be Gen X. Some of this might just be sugary, sweet, Southern, Southeastern. Mm-hmm. I don't know where that comes from, but a whole lot of that in terms of, I don't want to say training me to be the man they wish they had, because that's too strong. Mm-hmm. But a mm-hmm. lot of it was certainly making sure I knew how to take care of my business, take care of my family. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those things were just like value systems that were brought into my life early that I certainly appreciate to this day. Yeah. Beautiful. Go ahead. Um, I, I was a, on the, I think, positive side of the term, a caregiver, a connector, um, like a mediator, making sure everyone sort of attended to, but on the negative, more negative um, through line, it was a people pleaser and a rule follower. Um, I And there was a lot of praise, right, around mm-hmm. being able to be a people pleaser and a rule mm-hmm. follower. Like, you know, people loved it and I didn't cause trouble and didn't make waves and um so candace to the second question like what has come through that i keep of that is trying to keep those positive parts and trying to be a little bit less of those those other parts like i don't have to stay in that people pleasing i don't have to stay in that rule follower because not all rules are right and there needs to be a critical thought and i don't know john i think you had said it like you know there's certain stuff that was under the, you know, pushed under the rug and we didn't talk about it back then. And now that stuff we, you know, really need to bring up or talk about and it's not easy, but I appreciate having the the difficult conversations now that I didn't have when I was a kid. Mm. It's so interesting, the the overlap, because I'm I'm honestly just sitting right here going, yep, mm -hmm, me too, me too. Um, I was, it was a really small family, just my brother and I, and my dad left when I was like five. So my mom became a single mom and um, I was the oldest. So I think my role, I tried to step up in some kind of weird mom way and my brother still resents me for it to this day, to be honest. I apologize profusely all the time. I hate that I became whatever that was um, or why I thought I needed to be that. I was very much of a people pleaser, um, especially when it came to like education. I was, I became really smart because I also wanted that from school. I wanted the, oh, she's so smart. You know, the one, the smart girl, the, you know, all of any kind of way I could get that I was trying. Um, and I think that all of those things do actually transition into space as a mom now um and you know a lot of what I got also from my mom was like you don't need a man like you said like and so I learned a lot about keeping my gas tank full and how to change a tire and you know all these things that I now found out after years of therapy are also sort of hindering me now because I've gotten this such a wall built up that is mm-hmm. creating this other thing that's happening for me that I do not want to give to my children. And so I am now hyper-focused on those things and trying so hard not to pass that down. 
that I've become this like extremely free parent that's like, I'm not going to tell you how to do anything. I'll just be here to support you. Um, And so I don't know, for me, I'm trying to find the happy medium between not being too much, um, being a supportive person that's just here if you need me. Um, But, you know, I have experiences too. And but I don't want to force them down. Like I realized that part of what she was trying to do, and I love her. My mother is probably my favorite person in the whole entire world. So I'm not talking about her in any kind of, like, I love her. I know she did the best she could with the information she had at the time. And, but I know that those things, I am aware she was trying to protect me. And while I'm still now having to figure out how to shed some of those things and to be the best version of myself for what I need, I uh, I know that she was just, you know, she was protecting me. I don't know. I, I appreciate what she did. Um, I hope that answers the question. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I love that. It, and you, you said it right. There's, there's so much overlap, I think, in, in many of you all's answers. And everything that you all were saying just kind of resonates with me. I think, you know, I, I'm an only child. So, you know, whatever assumptions that come with being an only child, you were spoiled and all that. Yes. Yes, I was. I will own that. Okay. Um, but then also just having, you know, family and then really more friends who really ended up being probably closer to me than some of my own family members and just building building that into how I cultivate relationships now and my family, you know, that kind of stuff. I mean, I think those things really, really stayed with me because I had to do that. I mean, it was those folks and then, you know, I thought I wanted to be Dr. Doolittle when I was little, so I had a lot of animals growing up. Yeah. Lots, lots, lots of animals. <laughs> so, um, but you know, that that was just something that I think my parents kind of allowed to happen because they wanted me to have that experience and then just being the only child, I think there was a little bit of maybe a little bit of guilt around, oh, you don't have anybody else. But I was okay with it because I didn't know anything different. <laughs> I mean, it was it was okay. It was like me and the and the dogs and the rabbits and the you know whatever, and the friends. Mm-hmm. That still that still resonates because yeah, it's mm-hmm. friendly. It's friendly. Yeah, yeah. Jamel Hill has this quote that is super powerful, and she says, "Childhood lasts forever." Childhood. Mm-hmm just like a period of time that you know we we go through and then just like leave as we go through adolescence and adulthood that those foundational years and lived experiences they stay with us forever that's like anyone in therapy I'm in therapy now but Tanya you mentioned it everything is circles back everything circles back now I'm talking about stuff in second grade I'm like I'm still wearing that stuff forty. <laughs> So childhood's forever. Uh, along that vein, right? Have have either all of all of you have you ever experienced being tokenized in your family or ostracized for any particular reason, or have you witnessed someone in your family be tokenized or othered? And if so, what was that like? And how do you believe that still shows up for you as you navigate life? I, I, I'm going to go back to the education part. I was absolutely that person. Um, I was to, I was the tokenized 
I was destined to be the first to graduate college and destined to be this person. And it was a lot of pressure at some point. I realized that I brought that on myself, though. Um, mm. I got into math and it became like, a. I mean, I was, there was a unicorn. I was a black girl from the South that loved math and it was just not normal. Um, and then that just catapulted me into the space of like, you're going to be great, you know, black woman in STEM. And then it just made me have to be something that ultimately, I, I mean, I, I still love math. It's, I will nerd out on math all day long. Um, I don't know. I wonder sometimes, however, what would I have been like had I not gone so deep down that rabbit hole of performing for everybody to be this person they created now? Mm. Um, I, I, so I don't know. I mean, I think the question is, I was tokenized for that reason. I don't, I kind of resent that I took on that role because I think, I, like I said, I think I actually created it. And then they all were like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. We'll pick our, let's go with that one. And and then I just had this pressure to like get the degrees. And then now I got more degrees than the thermometer. I ain't doing them. You know, so it's just like, I have all this stuff that came from this great role that was created. And, and here I am, you know, kind of shedding some of those things and becoming my true authentic self after all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So powerful. Andrea, I saw you like nodding with some resonance when Latanya was sharing. Yeah, I think, um, so the questions was interesting. It really gave me a lot of to think about because I'm not sure other people did it, but I know I created my own standards and metrics um, along the way. Once that like getting good grades, you know, came with grades or getting, you know, good um, uh, compliments around, you know, dancing or, or whatever I did, it was like I, I created a standard of perfectionism too. I actually um, really I think my parents, from being one girl with three brothers, like, you'd think I would be super tokenized ostracized in a very gendered way back in the 80s, and it really wasn't. Like, certain things were, uh, you know, I wore the dresses, but if and I danced, but if I wanted to do anything, my parents were all for it. If I wanted to, um, you know, go with academics over, you know, whatever. Um, and I, and I think that that was really cool because my family were all very, um, different. My brother is in computer and electronics and two of my brothers are more, you know, sports and, um, and they were always supportive, whatever we did. So it was kind of a blessing, but I've seen it and those standards to be put on others are really hard to break. And they're even hard to break when they come from yourself. Mm. You know, for me, I'd say, I don't really think I had a lot of family tokenism, you know, in terms of feeling anything. I think if anything, it was more about maybe community, but again, I grew up on a dirt road in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. So the family wasn't just limited to my house. So truly, I guess as a Gen Xer, I grew up in a neighborhood to where if I did something bad down my street, when I got home, that was the third beating I got. Mm. The first two I got was from somebody, auntie, cousin, whoever else, before they called home and say, this is why I spanked them, before I even got home, right? So for me, a lot of it was really more so about in our particular neighborhood and community, 
there were just not a lot of positive reflections of what black men were doing in terms mm. of what it would look like. And so I think that that kind of free range of no one getting in the way, a lot of it was because we had women who were raising me and my other male cousins, um, not without a guide, but without an expectation. So if we wanted to do sports, sports was cool. Like I played high school football, wrestling, all that stuff. We did good. It was fun. But when it was time for me to kind of go from that childhood identity to my adult identity, I think a lot of it was really a matter of families just kind of watching, being a part of the generation to be the first. So when people talk about first gen, some of the first gen things are you're an astronaut or you're just kind of like you're out of this world because where the walks, the steps you're taking are things that are going to be so far removed from what your family may be doing. At least that wasn't my case. That it, I didn't really feel tokenized. I just kind of felt like at a certain point, I had a fan club of family who would always be watching, and I could feel their support, real or imaginary, from far away. And so mm -hmm. for me, that's that's kind of been my experience. And so I hope I answered the question, but didn't really have so much tokenizing. It was more so of, I think, we don't know what to expect. We know what we don't want you to do, but we mm -hmm. cannot necessarily tell you what it is we want for you, because mm -hmm. some of it was, you know, unseen. Mm. So was it was it kind of a almost felt like a bit of a ceiling for them, like they they take you as far as you can go or as far as they could go, and then after that it was like okay, hopefully you can get on out there and figure it out. Some 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 of that, Candace. Although it's funny because I'm gonna uh, pick on uh, join on what one of my colleagues said here on the chat today, which is my family gave me what they could, but what they gave me was so valuable because they gave me crazy confidence. When I say crazy confidence, I should not be talking to you today as an academic dean in Green Bay, Wisconsin, growing up on a dirt road in Muskegon, South Carolina. That should not happen, right? But my family's crazy confidence was like, baby, you could do whatever. Hard stop, even if we haven't seen it before, we know you. So as I began to grow up and get through those kind of difficult watershed moments we all go through where you decide what type of person you want to be in this world, I think I always had that voice in the back of my head from my family, family, nuclear family, family beyond nuclear family and community family. Like, nah, you you the one. You one of ours. You can do whatever you want. And we and we know we've put that in there for you. So again, it's that kind of crazy confidence that sometimes when you're in spaces when people don't understand uh, just how not far removed many African Americans are from slavery. Mm -hmm. That kind of reminder that my grandmother was born in 1914, and so we know what her mother before her was doing. That was always a line in my family. And so it was really that kind of, you better go to school, you better do as good as you can. Do you not know the cost that was paid for you yeah. to do well? And so it wasn't a pressure, but it was almost this kind of like, we don't know how far you're going, but you better go. And mm -hmm. go as far as you can, do as much as you can, and we'll be there to support you. Uh, so it's confidence. The confidence was incredible. I love it. I think I want to add that um, I want to make sure that I don't know necessarily how I came across in terms of I was I was trying to answer the question one. Um, I don't know that it was pressure that I felt. I think I want to be very clear that I felt very much supported. Um, again, I started that journey. Um, and it was more of one of those things. Once, once I got on it, they were like, "Oh, okay, you the one. We're gonna." And it was more of a like holding me up and lifting me and taking me there and allowing me, you know, uh, putting me in the programs and 
my mother was very much a one of those people that was like, okay, you need to be at this school, you need to be doing this thing. So it was it was very much support. Tokenism, yes, but it wasn't like just the pressure. It was very much the supported and loving um experience, you know. Mm-hmm. Too. So I just want to make sure that I <laughs> like my mother's listening or <laughs> wait a minute. I know it's not like, like no, that's not it. <laughs> All love. It's all love. Mom, we love you. Yeah. <laughs> Latanya, your your sharing actually really resonated with me as I was thinking about this question really just now and realizing how I othered myself in my family. My mom is the baby of, of six, so I have a lot of cousins, a lot of female cousins at that. And my older cousins, they had you know, had their name in the family. Everything connects back to grandma and how grandma saw the grandkids. So I have a cousin who's in the military and I was like, that's grandma's favorite. She's the oldest. She's responsible. She's in the military. Then her sister is a favorite because she's so creative and stylish. Then my other cousin, and I was like, well, what's my role? And I was like, you know what? Education. I've superseded the level of education they got to because I have a college degree. And when I gave grandma a copy of my degree and she put that thing in a frame <laughs> and that thing was on that coffee table in the in the living room, I said, okay, none of y'all got, none of y'all have a degree. So I othered myself as a way to like, what's my fit with grandma? And I'm literally just realizing that as sharing, thinking about this question and so many missed opportunities to share some of what I've learned, not to be a tutor for my cousins, but just to share different experiences, to encourage them, to edify them in their journeys was a missed opportunity. But thankfully, my family, as I've matured and as I've grown, especially spiritually, they see me as a go-to and they'll send their children to me, call Mikkel, call Mikkel and let Mikkel help you figure that out. Or Mikkel, should I let her go on a cruise? Like they, they by herself, like they respect my opinion, but some of that, that othering I did as a way to just get my footing and to be seen by grandma. Wow. That felt like therapy. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what, what traditions or values or approaches have you all carried into your family and how did they shape the story of your family? Like Latanya, you said you're like this free parent and you're trying to like find that middle ground of like explore, let life teach you as mommy guides you along the way. Yeah, um, that that is pretty much my the existence of my household, and um, I'm actually really proud of that now. Um, so my oldest child is 24, and my youngest is nine. And so when I started this journey, I was pretty much I pretty much grew up with my my oldest. I mean, I was really figuring things out, learning how to be a mom, learning how to be a human, an adult, and all the things at the same time. And um, so I wasn't always the parent that I am now. So I'll say that first. I did just kind of initially just become what I felt my mother was giving. And I don't know. And I say it that way because I realized that there was parts of what she, what I felt wasn't necessarily her intention or how 
her impact wasn't, you know, t- intended to be. Um, so once I got to really step back and understand her purpose and what she was trying to do and the information that she had, I mean, she literally didn't have Google and all the things that we have access to that actually feed into um, our ability to be a different type of parent. And she had just the information. And I mean, we're from small town. I mean, she's from Four City, Arkansas, where she literally picked cotton. Um, and so, like, I'm thinking about the information that she had and the knowledge that, that she had to be a parent, you know. And then I took those things and just went straight into parenting just like her. And it wasn't until I started having probably my, there are four kids um, that I birthed all together, but I have a blended family of seven children. And so it wasn't until we started really trying to blend all these things that I started discovering that this isn't working, you know. Um, so as much as there's traditions that I think my mother has, that we had as a family, um, it's really hard to keep some of the like parenting style traditions. I mean, we have traditions like, yes, we, we do Christmas and we have a Christmas tree, you know, those types of traditions. But when it comes to how I parent, I, I really can't parent like my mom parented. I mean, there literally wasn't uh, Instagram and my nine-year-old has a cell phone. And, you know, that, so that the things that my mother did for me or with me, I just don't really work if I really think about it. And even if I, when I did try, I mean, uh, my 17 year old probably has the worst stories of me as a mom because I was still trying to push those agendas at the time. And this is when it really started to fall apart too, um, realizing that, that they weren't working. And it was this moment of like, if I take the same information and use it in a different space and it's not working, who is it serving? And it just wasn't. Um, so I had to, and it was hard because then you're thinking again, you know, and I'll go back and go, I'm sorry, mom, I'm not saying you did it wrong. You know, I feel this certain level of like apologizing or like I'm saying something bad about what she did. And it's just not that it's just that times have changed and I have to change with the times. So, um, there's not a lot of parenting traditions I've taken. I don't think, um, she was, no, you know, she was. She was always like supportive again, like, so she was supportive and she would help me find the school I needed to be in and make sure I was in the right programs. And I was a Girl Scouts and I danced and I did all these things. So I think I have that aspect of it. Um, And and she didn't force us to do anything, which is part of my freedom. Um, I let them do. I really am. I say a lot of times and I think Candace has read the book. I say things like I am just here as like I'm a coach in the sense of the fact that like I'm available. I'm not trying to teach you anything. And I started, my fam, my kids will probably say, she always say, well, here's the information, do with it what you can. And I'll be here to support whatever decision you make. And so um, I try to do it that way so that I don't have, so that they're not shedding what I gave them. It's, it's They're becoming their authentic selves from the beginning. It's my hope. So powerful. John, what about you? Yeah, so I'll try to answer. Sunday dinner. We still try to have Sunday dinner at my house. Now, I say try because it ain't quite the same. Like that, <laughs> what I was saying earlier about the whole romantic thing, my romantic memory of like literally zero through 18 is some version of Sunday school at 930. Church starts somewhere between 1030, 11 o'clock. Get home one-ish as it was an after church program, two-ish. <laughs> Food was already ready when you got home, right? Like that level of... It's like the soul food, the movie. Like that literally was, when I talk about that romantic upbringing, 
that was our home almost every Sunday. And so over the course of the past, hard to believe, I got 18 years in the game on the faculty side, right? So 18 years in the game, all of these different places we've lived, we've sacrificed some of those traditions because we just don't have the same community, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to recreate Soul Food Sundays in Northeast Wisconsin, yeah, it's a little bit of a challenge, right? Just keeping it real. No disrespect to my folks out here in Green Bay, but that idea of literally intentionally, uh, I try. Uh, I probably make 80% of our Sunday dinners, and 80% of those dinners have the same theme, a green, <laughs> like collards or whatever, some rice, because I grew up in the low country, and rice was an important dietary staple. So my kids eat a lot of rice because every meal we ate with rice as a kid. Mm -hmm. So we can afford to give them different things, but I still feed my kids copious, unhealthy amounts of rice in part <laughs> to give them a part of their daddy's childhood. Some greens, some rice, some mac and cheese, and a meat. Whatever that meat is, it can change from Sunday to Sunday. But some version of that meal is replicated in my house a significant amount of the time during the year and having this kind of reflective conversation about it. Where does that come from? I think that comes from trying to bring tradition to young people who clearly would not even know anything about that tradition unless I was intentional about trying to get it to them. So uh, certainly try to bring those kind of traditions in. And as far as parenting styles go, you know, my parents were, it was non-traditional. I was raised with my mom and aunts. And so and we're trying to do a nuclear family thing, to do that thing for our family, with my wife and I. And so, you know, so many different things in terms of we didn't have to unlearn. We just had to realize we didn't really know what the hell we were doing. Um, and we didn't necessarily had a guide, um, except for a lot of the godly counsel and a lot of um, great people who were around us who were kind of part of our village um, as, a, as, a, as a then married, young married couple. But we celebrate our 15th anniversary next month, right? So time flies. So grateful for all of those things that I say proudly, but all of that is because do in part two tradition. Like we had to make some tradition. We could lean off some of the traditions that we had. But then we also kind of realized that both of us came from single parent homes, quote unquote, where we didn't necessarily have some experiences. And so we try to make it our own. What are all these Miller family traditions that we do? Mm -hmm. I love it. Oh, I love hearing everybody's <laughs> um, stories and backgrounds. Um, my so some of the traditions or values that kind of have pulled through are one that this family is not easily discarded there's so many distractions there's so much going on in the world that um i think sometimes my boys are like why do we have to have dinner together like can't we go sit in front of the tv and watch and i'm like no, we're going to talk to each other. We're going to, you know, get to know each other. We're going to, you know, do Rosebud Thorn. <laughs> so I hear both your good parts of your day, what you're working on, what you're struggling with. Um, so, you know, can, keeping that piece. And I think, you know, the um, really focusing on spending time with one another is super valuable. Um, another tradition is that I think that caring and kindness like that that wanting to you know really be good and not take it for granted um uh be good and good for the world um mm -hmm. is so important my so my i remember distinctly growing up and um like if we were bullied at school 
um, you know, come home and tell mom and dad. And um, my mom would always say, like, she'd be care, you know, care, caring of us and our emotions and like taking, you know, time to listen. But at the end, she'd always say, like, and I just want you to know, you don't know what that person's going through. So don't judge them too harshly. Mm. Um, and that was like a huge piece, like that we, you know, carry into our family and our traditions is saying like it's kindness first. Like I say, you know, cool to be cool is to be kind to my kids because I want them to know like that, that how you show up, how you show up for others mm -hmm. um, is the most important and that freedom to do that without judging. Um, even if you're on the receiving end of the hurt, um, is super, um, super valuable. So that one's really carried through that I, um, that I'm proud of. Yeah. Yeah. We can remind a lot of adults. It's cool to be kind. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. What about you, Candace? I was just sitting there thinking, um, Okay, so a tradition, one tradition that has absolutely carried through generations of my family. This is not, this is, I'm going to say it in the way that it was said to me. <laughs> you don't walk out of the house looking crazy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you do <know>, not walk out of this house looking crazy. No traditions right and my kids will leave the house looking crazy and I let them these days I and it, it but but what's funny is I can feel it in my soul like my like I can hear my grandmother living rent free inside my head being like what did you let that child leave the house like that and I'm like baby because we got so many other bigger concerns to be worried about if I focus so heavily on what they got on right now baby we're gonna be stuck but when you said that I was like oh my god like it, it was a real struggle for me because when I first had to accept that it was okay for them to 
present however they wanted to. And that didn't have no reflection on me. Mm. Because I thought that the way they went out into the world was a representation of me. And I was protecting my image and my things. And I'm like, that's, that's, you know, that ain't got nothing to do with me, you know? And so for me, I I resonate with what you're saying. Because that's how I grew up. But I have given that, I, girl, I let that go. I was gone. Because I was like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go only in this way um, because it drives my mother crazy. I do not iron clothes. Nothing. I'm not ironing anything. Not nothing. I don't care how wrinkled. I'll put it on wrinkled. <laughs> a, a, a dryer <laughs> with a damp cloth? <laughs> Ten minutes? That's fine. I'm going to wash all of the wrinkles out. It's oh. fine. And it drives her nuts. And they're on my body. On my 47 year old body. So they can go wherever I go. <laughs> I can't. I can't. Latanya, would you could you share before for any parents that are listening, right? Because what you said reminds me of the, the message I got from from my family, right? When you leave out this house, you, you represent us, right? And and feeling the level of disappointment when I did something and my parents and how that reflects on them. They gonna think we don't not teaching enough anything. Can you share for parents listening one switch of the mindset or one action to help parents move from possibly keeping their children in bondage because everything you do, how you look, how you present to the world is going to be a reflection on me. And I'm possibly more concerned with my status than I am about your liberation and your development and, and, and who you are. Can, so can you share something that you tried or a mindset that you adopted? I think I'm going to say that the mindset really was a shift in myself because when I had to, I had to let go of those ideas for myself before I could let that be someone else's true. So I was living in a space where everything we're talking about was how I existed, right? So it mattered to me how I looked. It mattered to me how people thought. It mattered to me. And again, I will say probably the biggest move for me was when I realized that the pressures of everything else that my kids are going through and in the in the age that we live in where they have social media bullying, bullying at school, bullying, there's so many things that we're really dealing with that taking this one thing, what she has on, and making it another big thing she has to deal with was mm-hmm. causing this major friction between her and I. And I'm talking about my middle child. Um, we, we had a, a really budding head kind of relationship and I didn't want that and I kept looking for ways to release some of that pressure and so it came by way of like letting go of some of the smaller things and choosing my battles so to speak and so that was just one of them it was just like and she's she's an amazing person she has like the best biggest personality and she dresses extremely wild and I absolutely love it it's one of my favorite (laughs) things about her but I was trying to suppress that and I would have her go back in and make it match or you know things like that and she um but that was a fight that I now had to have with her that was just not necessary mm-hmm. didn't hurt her so this is kind of what I the way I would rationalize it is it hurting her mm-hmm. is it hurting someone else mm-hmm. and if those were not happening I was like well where the ponytail with the stripes and the park polka dot it, it's not changing anyone's life except mm-hmm. for hers in the best way and so when I start, I started kind of doing everything like that. It was just like one of those moments where I was like, is it hurting them? Is it hurting me? Is it hurting someone else? 
And if the answer to that is just no, I'm just like, oh, hey, you know, and it just helped. I mean, I really, we, we are really good friends now, believe it or not. She's 17, almost 18 now. But we struggled so hard in the beginning because she wasn't a people pleaser. And my, my, my oldest was a people pleaser. And so it was easy to just tell her what to do. She did it. She didn't want to get in trouble. This one, she didn't care. Trouble, trouble rules. She was like, out for she and I literally asked her, like, why did you do that? Didn't you know you were gonna get in trouble? She's like, Yeah, I wanted to. I was just trying to see. And so that was what I was fighting against. And so it was like I had that personality and I'm gonna try to tell her what to wear. So I'm like, I have to decide, am I gonna is she gonna get in trouble for pressing the red button on the subway train or wearing the red bow with pink shoes? You know? So it just became I, I really had to start nitpicking at the things I was battling over. Um mm -hmm. I was just yeah. yeah, and it's different for each child. I mean, I have so many kids, and they're so different. Mm -hmm. And I really have become like a completely different mom for each one of them. So that's part of it too. And really getting to know that child, I think, and deciding what's important for them to become their authentic self. And that's different. Thank you. You just help somebody. Thank you. <laughs> mm -hmm. Can you guys talk a little bit about um, just how you've seen the whole definition of family change and um, just those how those those ideas, those norms, those values, um, what that's been like for you as you've created your own kind of legacies or has it even influenced the, the legacies that you're, you're wanting to create within your own family? Yeah, I'll jump in on this one. I mentioned it earlier in one of my answers, but I think that distance and the ability to travel um, has, when I, when I talk about romance, romance has a little bit of lost in it too, right? Like it's a little bit of melancholy within the romance in terms of, because I'm longing for a thing that I know may never come back again, right? So right now we're raising Arkansan, South Carolinian, Wisconsinites, right? <laughs> Our kids who are born in Arkansas, one board in South Carolina. We're raising them in, in in Northeast Wisconsin with two parents who were born and bred 100% South Carolina, right? Like my wife and I are 100% South Carolinians. Like that's who we are, and so that that embodies so much of what we want for tradition, what we want for quote unquote Black excellence. What do we want our children to look like? And we don't take those roles lightly. So again, the whole family distance thing is something that I think. Our generation, so again, I'll go back to the Gen X thing. We are perhaps the first generation to have such access to leave. And so in terms of I, I know that I carry a burden with me. Um, even when I was in Arkansas, I have a little bit of a burden in my heart that I was somehow fleeing South Carolina. So my, my, my purpose was not just a purpose for my individual pursuits, but my purpose was for my community and my community included my family. So even when I now do certain things that I think I'm now trying to give back, I try to give back as an aspirational figure. Or sometimes I give back literally hitting people up on Cash App back home, right? But, but there's still that kind of longing to be close to family, even though we have distance now, great distance between family. So again, to me, that is one of the challenges of defining family in 2023, because mm -hmm. you have a lot of us with uh you know well you know many many times people go to school like within a 70 mile radius that's in my world right now in terms of how we do our recruitment of students but when you find people who are far outside of that so i'm hearing stories from forest city arkansas all the way out to la right there's a lot of distance between forest city and la and so those are things that i don't know if 
families had to wrestle with that the same way we have to wrestle with that, say, several generations ago. So uh, for what it's worth. Um, I think that now family is not in our society is not so defined by blood as it used to be. I think being able to, you know, create your own family and those who resonate with you um, is is a beautiful thing. Um, I think the um, definition of family that what happens here stays here and we don't talk about some of the difficult stuff that's going on uh, has shifted. I really love the shift in conversation and openness and mindset changes that people are willing to make, um, even if that's not how they grew up. So it's a, it's a cool thing to see a lot of the, um, what I remember as, as norms, no longer being norms, you know, for, for what we're talking about, like, a, you know, entire, um, concepts that we're talking about now weren't weren't discussed at all, you know, way back when. So, <laughs> um, I guess the only the other thing I would add is I really do like the the aspect of being able to just kind of do it how you feel is necessary for your family and creating um, your own definition of family, like kind of like what you were saying, Andrea, and um, you know, I think that helps in the terms of making it a little bit of a lighter space to be in. Because sometimes, I mean, some people's families are really heavy um, and it comes from a lot of tradition and ideals that we've been passing down for years. And so this sort of idea of being open to accepting people for who they are and for what they want to be and things like that, I think are um, shifts in the norms that I appreciate a lot because I think the more I sit with it, the more I realize um, I became a product of norms and a product of traditions and ideas that maybe I didn't necessarily want to be. And um, I think this letting go of those norms are, are going to be great for our future society. I mean, these kids, if they're in these families that have those as ideas, I think good for them. And I, I can't wait to see how it all turns out, to be honest. It's so interesting because when we were, um, you know, prepping for the show, both um, Mikel and I were saying, you know, we really want to just come hear what, what our guests have to say about how just society is kind of conforming the way in which we think about family now or how we're thinking about family structures or family dynamics and well, who's, who's a part of your family? How are you defining this now? And so I think it's always really, it's always interesting to hear all of the different ways in which we think about family that is not kind of that traditional nucleus you know, that, that we idealize maybe growing up and that family it truly is what you make and how you and, and who um you want to be a part of your family. And even though sometimes family, you know, we we think about family as okay, this these are folks who are our blood relatives. That 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 does not mean that they are a part of your immediate surroundings and you're with them every day and hanging out with them and maybe they're not their family, yes, but they are not as close as some of the other folks that you have asked and that you have um, you, you, uh, welcomed into your life to be a part of your family. 
So I think it's really interesting how we're, we're thinking differently about family dynamics and family structures. Can I, can I, I just, if I may, yeah, for just a second, course. I want to share my story about family in terms of a part we had, we had, our conversation hasn't really gone there, but I think, Candace, based off what you just said, I want to bring this point home. Uh, I wasn't really connected to my, to my paternal family. Like I said, my father wasn't really in the picture, but, but his mother, my grandma was an OG, right? So grandma took care of making sure I had that connection, even though it wasn't the same kind of natural connection it would have been if her son, my dad would have been in the picture. Fast forward the clock all these years later, and when I get my now young children with my Miller family, they can feel family, even though we're not naturally connected to that family. And so in all of the conversations about, you know, clearly there is there is a lot to be said about redefining family. But let, let me be the old country man here and just say, the energy when you are with family is that type of energy that I cannot even put into words. Because when I saw this past summer, we had a gathering uh, in, in, in honor of my grandmother who passed away a couple years ago. So we now do like an annual family gathering on my father's side. And at this gathering, we have, you know, people come from all over the country. Last year, we were in St. Louis. So they're in St. Louis. This is their first time because it's in COVID. Many of my Miller family had not even met the baby boy who was born right before COVID. And when I say it was hand to a glove, as far as like how the kids played, that energy was different energy. And it's nothing we could have done to replicate that energy. Nothing we could have done here in Northeast Wisconsin. Nothing that we could have done even in our time in Columbia before that stopped. Or even in Little Rock before that stopped. There was just something about that part of the family getting together. Kind of like at the ending scene of Medea's family reunion, everybody doing the damn electric slide going out the end of the movie, right? There's just something about that, right? So again, uh, man, I'm turning into an old man before I, I'm looking at myself as an old man. But I am just saying I now have a greater appreciation for that uh, because there is nothing I could have done or could do ever to replicate that thing I'm describing. So uh, certainly, I think, again, given where we are in our different generations in terms of what this looks like moving forward, uh, that's a strength. And so how do we take the advantages and the benefits of you know, what this thing looks like moving forward while also not losing some of that community strength that comes together when you have those opportunities to, to connect. So again, it's uh, it's complicated. So I'm sorry, forgive me for- uh, uh, No getting, apologies. I, I, didn't wanna, I didn't wanna get into the run of show there, but just really wanted to uh, mention that because you know, no, yeah. uh, I felt it in a, in a real way recently. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Do you have any proposed suggestions for, for how we do that? I would say lean in. And I'm saying it from someone who has mm -hmm. to lean in to where sometimes things are awkward. So I'm like my paternal grandmother's oldest grand, oldest grand, I think of like 25 grandchildren, which means that I feel a responsibility to connect my, my children to their, to their family. Mm -hmm. like I feel a responsibility to make sure that they have an opportunity to meet all the family they can possible, whether they end up having uh, feature roles in their lives or the role of an extra. My job as dad is to provide them with I don't want to be on my deathbed one day, hopefully 20, 30, 40 years from now. Got a lot of living to do, hopefully, <laughs> right? But I don't want to be on my deathbed one day and my son say, Dad, why didn't you ever tell me about blank? And so for me, in terms of feeling that responsibility, and again, I'm speaking as someone who has literally been on the move. And so uh, we've kind of gotten to the point now where we say, you know, this career thing is good and all, but we're about to get to that point where it's like, we're going to stop. We're going to love where we at or we're going to die because we're not moving anymore because our kids are not in the damn military. Why are we moving so much? 
Mm-hmm. And so those things all speak to community, family, mm-hmm. connections. This was the first year, and we can remember that we didn't take our now 11-year-old, did not step foot on ground in South Carolina in 2022. And he had a strong homesickness that came over him at the beginning of this year. And we think it's because it was something about his rhythm that he knew for whatever reason, even though we flew people up, we did all kind of other trips, he did not step foot on South Carolina soil last year. And it, in fact, and it affected him in some way. Mm. So, again, all of these are just, sorry, I wish I had the answer, uh, Mikhail. I don't really have a the answer here. You got to lean in. I think that leaning in means, you know, people have all, we, we all do. We have church hurt. We got family hurt. Mm-hmm. These are real, legit things. At a certain point, that power, I think those are things that our ancestors knew in, in many ways better than we'll ever know. The, that power of that kind of, you have to have that at least connection uh, because what you lose without that connection is something that is, you know, sometimes we feel it. And I'm, I'm speaking from experience and just saying that I definitely can feel the distance. And so we definitely have already made a point to try to do whatever we can to close that distance moving forward. So I would just say I would encourage any any listener um, that leaning in matters, um, especially mm. when you think about the whole story of your family. Yeah. Yeah. I'd add, add to that. My grandmother passed away um, two almost two years ago now, and she was such a core to my mother's side of the family. Um, she had seven kids, so I have a lot. I have 25 first cousins, you know, many other grand, great or additional cousins from their families. Um, and I read, happened to be, um, hear the quote from Matthew McConaughey after his dad passed away. Less impressed, now it's time to show up. Or something to that effect. It's like, I was, you know, in awe of her and how she connected the family, but rather than staying in that awe, now it's time for me to really get into it. And I always was a connector with the family, um, but I think even stepping that up to your point, John, because otherwise it, it can quickly dissipate if you don't. Yeah, I, I think, um, and I'm probably now that I'm realizing how far away I've moved from like my core family in Arkansas, um, it's sort of my position as one of the people, um, because our space is in Arkansas, I think it's sort of important for us to go back to the center. Um, And so it's not like everybody's job to come to me or whatever the case. And so I think having like a a one event, um, and and I think one event, especially because everyone's really busy and life has, it takes its, you know, directions. But if we said like, for my family, we recently realized my, my grandmother passed a really long time ago and our family stopped getting together and everyone went their separate ways and we never even talked about it. And we accidentally got together uh, three, fourth of July's ago. I happened to come home and everyone just came to see me and, and we were all there together. Mm-hmm. And it was like John's experience. And we just felt it was almost like my grandmother was there mm-hmm. in her spirit or something and everyone had this like moment where we were just connected so deeply that we decided we were going to call it make the day which is my grandmother's name and we're not going to the fourth of july works for everyone because they're off work you know and it just created this space so we go to celebrate every year it's been three years now 
And it is an amazing time. I completely agree with you, John. And everyone knows that date. It stays the same. And mm-hmm. we know we're all planning it the year before. We, we, You know what I mean? And I think when you have something like that, it could answer your question as to how do you make that happen. Um, maybe setting a day that never changes and that makes it easy for people to travel because it's already a holiday or something like that. Um, and then everyone just knowing that this is where we're going to be. Show up if you want to feel that energy. You remember what that felt like. Everybody come through. Let's go. You know, I feel like that was. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm coming plate. for a plate. I'm coming for a plate. <laughs> right, can a brother get a plate? I'm coming for a plate. Coming for a plate. <laughs> okay, all right. Also, no, for real. No, you're joking, but you know it's Arkansas, so everybody really fair. At the end of the day, you can pull up. You know you can pull up. Um, my mother and every family at this point, because now it's been three years, and it's a whole celebration. But you still get that vibe, you know, of yeah. the poor family being there. So, I mean, that might help, I don't know. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Intentionality, like really just being intentional about how you bring the family together. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I I think I hear all of you saying, like, there's something about each of you, there's something about someone in your family that is that connector. And so it's like, if if the connector is gone, does somebody step into that place or do multiple people step into that that space? Because I, I, I hear you guys in that. I feel like there were multiple people who stepped into the place or into that space when, when my grandmother passed. So it's like, okay, everybody's got a little piece to do. So mm-hmm. we all like bring your little bring your little piece, whatever that is. Like you you cook the greens, you bring the plates and the, the forks because you don't want none of your potato salad. Like every you know everybody's got a little something that they need they need to bring to the party to keep it all connected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's so beautiful, right? So that we don't just congregate when it's funeral time, right? And when someone dies. And I'm I'm thinking about the listeners who are saying like, yeah, that sounds good, but there's a lot of hurt in my family. Like I haven't spoken to so-and-so in so long. We've we've brushed something up under the rug that we've never Mm -hmm. talked about. I can't even imagine coming together with family. But what I hope these last three to four years have shown us is that life is bleeding, but life is beautiful. So come together, even with the hurt, even if you do it with a small group of those who are willing to come together, feel the love and just begin the healing process. Come together and and, and do it anyway. So this has been nourishing, honey. Um, With the time we have left, let me throw this question out here. What are you all most proud of? when it comes to your family. May I, I, I wanted to ask earlier, can I, can I show y'all my family? Can I do a screen share? Yeah, of course. I see, I, see I can like, present yeah. button. I'll try. Try it. If, if it doesn't work, let yeah. me, you know, I, I, let me share my screen. I don't got nothing to hide. The stuff I got to hide is not on the front of the screen anyway. <laughs> okay, all right. I, I don't really get into all of the tabs. I just share the whole screen. All right, hold on a second. Share that screen, the entire screen, and I want to share my system audio, no problem. Share. Okay, got it. It's going to let me. All right. And so it's giving me a warning. Give me one second here. I want to share this with you all. Mm-hmm. Can you all see my screen? Can you see that? Um, oh, here it is. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can you all see the picture? Yes. Look at the front. 
Okay, all right. So, oh my goodness. So I've been talking a lot about my family, family, right? So again, you know, my wife and my kids—they're my nuclear family now. But this is my family. This monk's going to finest right here, circa 1983. Okay, <laughs> after the church pitching, everybody oh. had it right. Okay, <laughs> and, and I'm little man over there in the corner, and that's my cousin Carolyn. That's my baby cousin Shawan. That's that's Big Mama. That's Grandma Daisy. That's oh. my uh, my cousin Tawanda beside her. My mother and the aunties who raised me and my cousin Eddie. And so, you know, for me, when I talk a lot about family and this idea of why it matters, I still walk around every day with those people on my back. Mm. Those people on my back, they in my spirit. Uh, my cousin Eddie has passed. My grandmother has passed. Uh, and so for me, in all the conversation about family, David talked recently where I was uh, giving a public lecture and I said, social work saved my life. When I talked about social work saving my life, I started with a picture of my family, right? So as an encouragement to anyone who's listening, especially, Mikhail, to go to your question earlier about folks who may be hurt, yes, there may be hurt. We all deal with various forms of hurt and trauma. But I can guarantee you the smartest women I ever met in my life were my parents who raised me. And my grandmama's love was the love I could never get anywhere. If I tried to bottle it, I couldn't bottle it. I couldn't get it anywhere. And it's almost kind of like, uh, when you're in different parts of the country, you miss certain foods or you miss certain things you just can't get because you know where you need to get it from. And so I think that in this day and era where certainly, uh, I'm sorry, y'all, we done growing up now. We are the decision makers, right? Like we are in the spots where it's like, somebody need to do something about this family thing. It's us, right? So, you know, so I wanted to share, and I don't know who will ever see this, right, in terms of, uh, and, and my family's giving me approval to kind of post that. I post that on Facebook. So I didn't embarrass anybody by showing the picture because it's all love. I would actually get that made into a sweater and wear it around every day if I could, because to me, that's what it's all about. So having that memory, my wife and I try to do whatever we can to give our boys a taste of that. But knowing that we probably won't be able to give them a full meal of how I felt on that random Sunday. But we try to do whatever we can so that, you know, if and when, well, not if, but when our time on this earth is over, did we do our job? as parents, as uh, people who have a role to play in, in the story of our family, uh, that we celebrated the whole story. So uh, so thank you all for letting me sh uh, share that. I did not want to let this conversation about family go on for a whole hour without me showing you all from a monk's corner's finest. And yes, the Afros was banging. All right. It was absolutely, you know, and so, uh, and so I think a lot of our community swag, style, that's why I call it romantic because we get it from uh, any type of swag or style I might even think about having in 2023, I certainly know I got it from uh, the ancestors and my elders who showed me how to how to get down. I love it. I love it. Yes. Um. So I I, I think that I would say resilience, um, and just like an overall strength and love that kind of ties all that together, you know? So we ha we do have in our family times when we've fallen out or swept things under the rug or disagreed or forgot someone's birthday and it really crushed us to have that experience, but the ability to forgive um, and understanding what forgiveness does for yourself first and then understanding where that takes the rest of the family. Um, our ability to tie love into all of that to bring us back to center. I think it's probably my favorite part. Um, 
it's a it's the one place like like I said in the beginning I think I for my immediate family now that I'm a mother and raising kids I want my home and our family to be their safe space their comfort um and I think even though we have in my bigger family we have things that have come up and uh kind of torn the family apart or whatever like I said when we show up at fourth of July somehow it may be a day we sit that on the side and everybody just takes in the moment and we appreciate and I think it really did come from pandemic to be honest like you said because there was this time when we didn't see each other and it wasn't an option and once that happened it was like wait a minute let's not ever do that if we don't have to Mm. and I love that because it's not to say that we're not going to deal with whatever Mm. you know the issue is let's deal with that but today we're just going to enjoy this time together and allow it to do what we needed to do in this moment Mm. and I really like that about us because I have been at that family that that day and I know the tea I know all the tea, so I already know what y'all got going on. And I showed up, and y'all did not have that going on. And I appreciate that about us. And I appreciate that even those things that two years ago have been worked out. And now when we all show up, we good. I love mm-hmm. that. I don't know. I feel like there's some level of respect, resilience. I don't know. Love is just tying it all together. And it really makes the family part still feel so good. Um, mm. So push through those moments, and it's and having a space to deal with it, I think a lot of us are in therapy and learning how to use our words and, you know, how to express emotions and things like that. And understanding that our emotions and our intention and our impact and all those things are so different. And it's allowing us to have those very needed conversations. And I think the more that my family is doing that, even on their own separately, when we come together, we can feel the strength of all of that. So I would just say, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's love. I feel like that's what kind of is the main piece. There's all these other things, but love seems to be this like final little tie on or something. I'm not sure. That's how I feel. Love it. Love it. What about you, Angela? Oh, I literally have love, respect, and reconciliation written down. <laughs> it is lo- uh, love, the love that's unconditional. I got you. And uh, this is, we're here for each other. Um, is so important and so um like if you forget you can kind of come back to like you said that center that core um if things get busy and then someone's like why don't you just call your brother like oh yeah we we got that they got us mm-hmm. um and two other things i'm proud of from where i've come from um is that one having difficult conversations being able to get into stuff before it gets big or before in prevention of um, ignorance and prevention of um, an unknowingness, um, having real conversations early on. Um, and then my dad is like the mindfulness guru before mindfulness actually had a name. Uh, he um, born in the projects of Boston and one of eight had a grand had a mom who um, immigrated here and spoke German and then her husband passed away so I uh, grandfather I never knew so he was the youngest of eight kids and resilience and having a you know really like work 
through difficulty. You know, she had three jobs at one time and didn't speak a lick of English. But he took that and sort of realized that you have to appreciate the small things. You have to appreciate the moment that you're in because you don't know about tomorrow and you shouldn't be worrying about the past. And so he's got a more crass way of saying it. And I'll leave that off for another time. Um, but really I think that's something that has carried through and you know making sure my kids see the sunset and appreciate it or you know look at uh, a coloring of theirs that is completely all over the place and just looking at the beauty and um, being able to really like um, just be excited to be holding their hand or, or what have you so those small moments and and making sure that resonates is is something I'm really proud of. Well, listen, um, thank you guys for joining us on the front porch today. Um, where can our guests follow you, subscribe? Where can they find you? Whoever wants to jump in. I'm on all socials, um, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and they're all the same, Latanya Coleman Carter. Latanya, and tell us the name of Tell us the name of your book. We'll also oh. link it too. We'll tell us the okay, name of your yeah, book. Okay, yeah, thank you. Um, so the book is called Dear Mom. Wait, that's me. It's a <laughs> collection of essays, poems, and prose about parenting, um, you know, through the ages, the generations, and the different styles, and the the things I learned. Um, it's sort of my liberation story as a parent, I think is how we'll define it. Thank you. Of course, thank you. John and Andrea. I'm showing my Gen X because I had to look up my handle. Like, okay, so I'm like showing my Gen X real quick. I'm like, what is the damn handle? Okay, so you can find a brother on Twitter uh, at uh, dr as in doctor underscore m i l l a h doctor Miller because it's spelled Miller, but I got more flavor than that. Come on, y'all, doctor Miller. All right, at doctor at doctor underscore Miller. That's where you can find me at on Twitter and on on instagram i'm at miller time m-i-l-l-a-h-t-y-m-e 27 uh and that's my uh instagram by the way you can tell since they don't match i don't use them that often right definitely not a part of my big branding but if you wanted to follow brothers on the socials that's how you can find me on the old school way on facebook and i'm one of a zillion john millers on facebook so good luck with that uh but uh but though that's my socials <laughs> Oh, I feel like a Luddite sometimes, uh, not using social media much either. So um, I am on LinkedIn um, and it's Andrea. And my maiden name is Dunges, D-O-E-N-G-E-S Martin, because there are a zillion Andrea Martins, but only one Andrea Dunges. Um, and you can email me at andrea.t.martin25 at gmail.com. I love talking about anything and everything. So uh, come find me. I'm not on social media much. <laughs> <laughs> we will definitely make sure that your socials, links to books, um, wherever folks can find you, we will link that into um, the description for the podcast. Thank you all again for coming to the front porch. You all have been a blessing to us all. I'm sure that all of the guests or all of the listeners will be taking lots of insight away from that that you have shared today. So thank you very much. Thanks for opening up the front porch. It was, it was, a, it was a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Yes. Now, frying fish in the back. Somebody frying right? fish in the back. Can you. I get a plate? <laughs> <laughs>
We're waiting for Matthias Day on the fourth. We are definitely pull up. I will, I'll, I will add the address in the chat. Pull up. <laughs> I love it. Thank everyone for listening. and subscribe, and we'll see you next time on the front porch. Thank you for listening to the Front Porch Podcast, where we have intimate intergenerational conversations. Resources and other goodness from this episode are in the description. Please share, subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll see you next week on the Front Porch.